A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Rule the Roots podcast. Are you, can you guys cheer or something? Can we can we spruce up the beginning a bit, lads? Can you maybe cheer or something? You just did that, mate. You had a new intro. Just try and mix it up a bit, you know, kind of bring our usual brand of limitless enthusiasm to the listeners, you know? <laughs> uh, if, if you're not aware of who I am, then uh, stop listening, basically, because you're... Uh, Wasting your life. Um, I'm Strunk, or otherwise known as Jack, and I'm joined as ever by my faithful sidekicks, as I'm going to call them, Mr. Raj Baines and Mr. Sebastian Stafford Bloor. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, mate. Hey, we're going. We're going, Sebastian. Are we on a, on a permanent basis? I don't know. I quite like it. It flows. There's a bit more, you know, rhythm to that. Yeah. Raj says the same thing. Okay. I don't All right, know, I'll go with Seb it. Stafford Bloor. It's it's shorter, but Sebastian. It's just I don't know. It's a nice name. Don't be don't be ashamed of it, mate. I like oh, it. Yeah, I liked. I, I thought you might be a bit cross earlier when I said that on Twitter. When I said Jesus Sebastian on Twitter, and then I. Uh, yeah, it sounded like I know. School I can't, but I, I, I did. I said it without thinking, and then it happened. You know, it, it worked. It was a funny. Se- I mean, we both laughed. I, I, mean, I no got. I got a faff. You know, out we, of it we, from here. So, you know, <laughs> and that's all that matters, really, isn't it? You know, little victories. Make did up get a retweet though. A bit disappointed by that. I do retweet most of the stuff you say, and and you, you have to okay. work in a ration. Right. It just looks like it's kind of like we, we're just a, a, a group of you know. People retweet each we get, other. Well, uh, we're getting a bit football Twitter, aren't we? We are, but we're just with three of us, so it's not. It's not. It's not. We as big actually as have thing. discernible ability as well. But um, anyway, uh, how are you doing, Raj? Fine. I was. I didn't hear what you two were saying. I was only half listening. I was reading about Kanye West's headline in Glastonbury. Which oh, be, is he now? It'll be fucking incredible. That uh, there's lots of, I bet there's loads of piss being boiled over that right now as well. Of course, what a black man being successful in this country. That's true. He is a bit of a twat, though, as well. That stuff aside, like, he's oh, a bit of a twat. I find him, his lack of self-awareness on occasion is hilarious. But I think it all comes from a good place. I mean, you remove his personality from his, his, uh, his ability as a producer and a rapper, then you get a, a decent output. I mean, he's, I've not disliked any one of his albums, to be honest. I, I quite enjoy him. I'm quite a fan. I've not I'm yet to see him live which is a disappointment. I would quite like to see what he does in that sort of environment. Um, but sadly, I missed out on tickets to Glastonbury this year, which is a shame. There we go. I've never actually been to Glastonbury. I've been to a fair few festivals, but I've, been, I've always been a bit intimidated by the size of it, if I'm honest. Oh, it's it's ridiculously big. It is like yeah. the... It's like, you know, most festivals are like Disneyland Paris, and then you've got a Disney World, and it's got five different parks, and you're sort of like, what's going on here? But it, we, mm. we like first day I got there, I've only been the once a couple of years ago when uh, Rolling Stones and the Arctic's uh, headlined. And um, we got there on the first day, 
and we wandered around for about an hour with all our shit in around first trying to find a place to camp because none of us had been before and we didn't know where we were going so it took us quite a while before we actually found somewhere quiet enough and, and sort of appropriate enough to pitch up and then we sort of went for a, a gander round to see what were there and you, you come back about three hours later and you're like, oh, we've only done half of it. There's still places of that <laughs> that, that field that I've not yet discovered, which is, uh, is ridiculous. But it, I'd highly recommend it to anyone if they can get their hands on tickets. It's fucking hard to do, but it's it's well worth it. Not to, not to have, like, an, an on-air breakdown. I, I don't have, like, out-and-out agoraphobia, but I'd say I'd have, like, perhaps a, a slight hesitancy around massive open air spaces and like for example like best of all is one that i've been to a few times the best of all is apparently you know it's, it's pretty good um no i've been to yeah best of all a few times and i've always enjoyed myself there and that feels to me like a manageable size um but i've been told glastonbury is about three four times the size of that i think it there's like a crazy me. crazy statistic or something that it's like the 15th biggest city or something in the country when it's on like, there's that many people in it <laughs> yeah that it's, I've, I've that, heard that you know that area is becomes populated with that many people that's like one of the most densely populated areas i'm not sure if that's bollocks or not but it's there's a lot of people there it's uh it's it's certainly a place to go and discover i mean some some stories and stuff and and stuff from there is incredible but it's it's got such a, a nicer atmosphere because there aren't many kids going that are younger than about 20 because they simply can't get there or can't afford to to spend a week there it um it just means that there's a lot more older people and a lot more sensible people there so it's actually a lot more but, enjoyable than it if it was full of dickheads I've, I've, but the thing is, I've actually heard it's become a bit. Yeah, because yeah, that's my fear. Because I've heard it's become a bit twatty though. In the past few years, like it's become kind of like the the clapper mummy kale smoothie brigade is what Glasto is about now. In a way, well, you you are more exposed to those sorts of people than I am. So I imagine Certainly I just am. sort of sort of <laughs> walk past them without being uh, aware of what they are or that's what they do. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, it's like my, one of my Scottish friends. He went to uh, I can't remember what the festival is. I think it's like it's whatever one is sponsored by tenants. Tea in the um, park. Tea in the park. Yeah, and he said that like yeah, he's he's a he's a he's a staunch Scotsman. You know, he was very much uh, he's very much yes vote man, and he'll you know call us all English bastards after he's had a few pints and stuff like that. He's a nice guy though. Don't get me wrong. He's just Scottish. Um, but uh, he. Uh, <laughs> He, even he was like fucking hell. Like tea in the park is basically just Neds, Neds on tenants, just wanting a punch up. Too much speed, too much tenants everywhere. All right-ish bands usually, but if you want a punch in the face, go to tea in the park. There you go. It's almost like we're trying to avoid talking about football this week, isn't it, lads? I quite enjoy this festival chat. To be honest, though, I, I I just I would never go to a festival sponsored by tenants. <laughs> the association that has is just like my ultimate nightmare is is like going to a festival like that with people like that and, and it being headlined by Kasabian. <laughs> the worst couple of days you could possibly have in England. Tenants does taste like cat piss as well, so it's oh man, it's just uh, yeah. I'm I'm gonna have to admit to the fact like I I, I don't mind a few Kasabian songs. 
No, their first record was genuinely yeah, good. Their first album's alright, you know. I mean, but... some of the, I, I like the fact that their that their lyrics are so laughable, it, like in the newer points, because they they think they're being sort of <laughs> giving some sort of social commentary. Edgy and yeah, exactly. They're the kind of people that'll be like, "Oh well, had it down so well." <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's that kind yeah. of like level of. Social analysis, but I know what you're saying, though, Seb. It's like the sort of crowd that's drawn to a Kasabian gig is generally. It's the same as like I can appreciate drum and bass music on a certain level, but I know the type of like crowd it attracts when you go to anything live. Yeah, and you know, as I get older, I I get more intimidated by that kind of person. I'm not afraid to admit it. I, I, I really I... want to take Seb to Glastonbury and take him to like Shangri-La and have him up to late in the morning at a drum and bass rave, just seeing, seeing how he behaves after about 15 pints during the day. Because I know he tucks himself into bed about half eight most nights. So to have him up all night and, and see how he gets on would be a social experiment that I would love to conduct. I'm not ashamed of that in any way at all. I I, I know I should be, but like, I, I, I've reached a stage in my life where... I, quite, I congratulate myself for getting to bed by 10.30. I enjoy it. I can imagine you being a bit of a, a mushroom monster, Seb. I can imagine you being the type of guy that, like, chow down on a few mushrooms and get a bit <laughs> get a bit deep and get a bit, like, mystical and stuff like that. Yeah, he'd go and sit in the healing fields all night and talk about his feelings and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, and just... Record a really, really dark rule the roof. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we could do that. We should do that. You know, when we have our... Um, have our weekend where we sit and talk about Byron, we should one night just um, get really drunk and then about four in the morning start recording and see what happens. See how far into our souls we can go. Yeah, see how see how little work we'll get once that goes out into the public. <laughs> <laughs> also, d- down in down in your neck of the woods as well, Seb, there's plenty of magic mushrooms and things growing around there. So it's a big picking spot. Around there. Not that I'd indulge in <laughs> You sound like you're speaking from experience. Uh, it sounds like you're reading out of a guidebook. <laughs> Nobody's going to have that. In the Who Guide to Bath, here's the field you should go in for magic mushrooms. This is a bit self-indulgent. We should probably talk about football now. Yeah, we usually end this for like the the last bit of the podcast, don't we? Or we just end up talking about nothing. But I think my, I think we've est- I reckon we've established core listeners now that that can appreciate this kind of level Especially of self-indulgence so. we managed to like get rid of about a thousand to two thousand people during the world cup when, when we went on <laughs> several anti-us men's national team rants and uh we got rid of quite a few people uh, I, I was looking at our um like the the map of where our listeners were from the other day because i only realized that we had one and there's like somebody who listens in hong kong and stuff like that and they're like what are you what are you doing Right. There's a few. Uh, there's, I think there's, there's a couple of lads that always listen in India as well. Um, and he used to tweet us quite a bit in the first season, but it's sort of stopped now. I just said season. I should have said series. I don't like those kind of creeping Americanization. The one that, it. the one that annoys me the most is the word movie. I, I like, I physically sort of feel a bit angry when people say movie. I really want them to say film. Like, oh, like the other day, my mate texted me and went, oh do you want to come to movies with us? And I rang him up and gave him a tirade. I was like, you're not saying that to me. We're going to films or we're going... Like, what I say is going to pictures. Yeah, I say pictures laugh, as well. People laugh at me for saying I'm old and sort of a bit antiquated with saying it, that. It's got, a, it's, it's got a use, though, Raj, because you, you, you wouldn't say that, like... Um, you wouldn't say that, I, I don't know, Adam Sandler makes films. 
He may. It's a kind of in a derogatory sense. It's a good yeah. word to have because it's kind of true. dismissive. It's like you get, you're not going to go and see an Adam Sandler film. You're going to go and see some like I don't know something that he's written in 45 minutes on the back of an aeroplane or something. That's giving him giving him too much credit there. A little bit too much credit. It's just yeah, uh, but yeah. Or cell phone. That's another one. Yeah, I guess Adam Sandler. He's fucking awful, actually. He's really awful. It's just not in any way funny. No, I mean, like, you take take. Hasn't really been funny since the Wedding Singer. Well, I can remember being like a stupid stoner when I was like thirteen, fourteen, and thinking like Happy Gilmore was absolutely hilarious, <laughs> and watched it. But I watched it not long ago, actually, like probably about half a year or so ago. Thinking like, and because Charlotte had never seen it, I was saying like, oh, it's, it's fucking hilarious, Happy Gilmore. It's so so good. Mate, it's dire. It's fucking dire. So bad. I had a similar thing as well. Wayne's World. Wayne's World. I used to think was fucking brilliant. It's just not. It's not good. No, Wayne's. It's, those those things really date, and you you're just humiliated when you try and introduce something to someone to something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, right. We lost three 0 to Manchester United. Let's fucking let's just initial thoughts. Any realistic positives to be drawn from that game, Raj Baines? Um, no, not really, but I don't think it's the end of the world that there isn't, to be honest. Um, it was very oddly positive going into that game, whether that was because we'd won a few games and because the general feeling around the club at present is quite a, a welcomely positive one, um, whether it's because we've won a couple of years on the tra- Old Trafford and people think that that's now... A place where I jokingly called it Three Point Trafford last week, but I think people actually thought that that was what it had become now. Um, or if it's a combination of the two, I'm not sure. It seemed very naive. I wasn't. I've never been particularly confident going to Old Trafford, no matter the situation we're going. Um, so it's it's it was a bit of an odd one going into it. The the feeling was a bit odd, and especially going off the the back of a couple of of, of decent wins and then losing, people tend to not be too comfortable with the the welcome return of that that losing feeling like coming back to you it's one that people tend to be quite angry about after a few wins so it, you know it's a it's a perfect storm for people to overreact essentially um Manchester United were probably the best they've performed all season and Tottenham were probably the worst we've performed all season so if you boil it down to the the bare bones it, it sort of the the equation comes out of being fairly understandable really I mean it's it's not one that you're particularly pleased about it's not one that you you know you're gonna tear your hair out about either I, I just think it's one of those one of those things to borrow from Harry Redknapp it, it happened um, and I don't think it's the type of game you draw too many conclusions from because I think we 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 got it wrong from the very first minute um, and Manchester United had got it right, and it's just one of those where you have to admit that you were you were outdone in in both a, a tactical way and in both a performance way on the day. And there's not there's not too much in it. I think it actually might do more harm to spend too much time reliving it and going over it and making too much of it than it would be just to sort of accept it for what it was. It was a a, a poor day at the office for uh, to, to get another uh, cliche on the bingo card and just sort of write it off as that and uh, building on it too much is just going to is going to wind you up and, and cause more of an issue than if you just sort of brush it under the carpet exactly i think it's we, i mean you guys kind of touched on this last week with musa and everything is that 
yeah, essentially, this is still Manchester United, and it is still a team that's been above us for the majority of the season. So, as much as the press have kind of whipped up this frenzy around Louis van Gaal and around them being this abject, useless outfit, they've still sat in the top four fairly comfortably for nearly the entire season. So, you know, when do we ever go to Old Trafford and really expect to win? We can look retrospectively and say, okay, we won twice on the trot, but we we you know we celebrated both of those victories like they were i know it's a bit small club but like they were cup finals you know winning twice at old trafford was fucking incredible and it's something that i think we've maybe underplayed a bit um as the kind of like rose tinted spectacles will have us do at times um i mean one thing i i was uh, i was kind of thinking about this. And I mean, it is pure conjecture. It's looking at Vertonghen and saying he's got body language issues, so on and so forth. I know it's in those kind of realms, but do you, do you reckon at all, Seb, that there could be anything to be said for a group of young players who have, you know, of recent weeks had a lot of media praise lavished upon them? Could that have gotten to their heads a little bit, do you think? Do you think there's maybe a bit of the Charlie Big Potato syndrome creeping in there? There's a little bit of it, yeah. I mean, well, maybe. I just, I, um, what I, I remember, I, I spoke to Musa, um, actually the night before that game, and I said, look, you know, we, we may lose this game, but we will die trying. We're not, we're not a team that's just going to, you know, concede an early goal and yeah. go soft and collapse in on yeah. ourselves. But, and, and, you know, that's what this season has taught us, that kind of all these, um, all these uh, kind of, intangible attributes all this sort of soft Tottenham stuff is a thing of the past it's kind of been vanquished whereas they went out and they proved me completely wrong um, and it just it lacked a certain quality there wasn't the um, I think we've come to expect a certain intensity especially from those players and the areas of the field in which they play so you know that Mason Bentleb access is, access is, is very frantic and usually a lot of energy within it Kane is you know uh, as well as you know, all this ability. There's a lot of bluster and effort, and you know, hassling and pressing. Um, and it just felt, I may be doing the players a bit of a disservice, but it, it felt very half-hearted. And it felt like um, once the first goal had gone in, they just—I don't know—there wasn't the response. I—I I kind of maybe maybe it was naive, but I've come to expect a response in, in a situation like yeah. that, and it just never came. It just got worse and worse and worse, and. And I, I don't want to, you know, say it's, you know, as simple as a lack of effort, but I just, I don't know. There was, um, there was just something slightly wrong, and I don't know why. I, I you know, there were, there were some tactical issues, sure, but there also seemed to be a, a bit of an, a, an issue within the, the kind of the mental uh, approach to that game. Um, I think maybe we, we might have been guilty of thinking that, you know, this was okay, it was Old Trafford. And a lot of things got said in that week and a lot of articles got written about, mm. you know, us going up there and we were just going to walk all over them and humiliate them and it was just going to be, you know, another, um, you know, bad day for Van Gaal. And I just think, you know, it wasn't quite what we expected and we just didn't recover from that. We didn't adjust to it at all. I think uh, w- one of the kind of the big talking points as well was the early substitution of Andrus Townsend. Uh, and I can imagine that's been a, a pretty interesting conversation between him and Pochettino this week because um, it's 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 you know it's a statement doing that really taking off any of your players for a non-injury related issue in the first half is it, it's saying something and I, I don't know if either of you guys saw but uh, at the QPR game after 
Townsend misplaced a pass for whatever the umpteenth time. Um, There's Pochettino like wildly gesticulating on the sidelines and apparently had actually shortly after that, in terms of like minutes after that, had uh, brought Townsend off the pitch. Um, Do you think there's going to be any kind of, you know, impact as a result of that, Raj? Can you see him maybe like bringing Townsend out again and putting Lamella back in? Not sure. I think there's probably an element of tough love to it. Um, especially with dragging him off after half an hour. I mean, we, we had a bit of a joke, not on the expense of Townsend, but in the general um, field of when managers make early substitutions. Yeah. And and uh, we, we all had our favourite moments of when managers have done such a thing. But I think it's um, it's just a, a, it's making an example. And often being harsh is the only way that people really take it on board. If you're too nicey-nicey about things, if you're too much of a a friend rather than pushing them and punishing them when perhaps they don't do what you've intended them to. Um, it might not be the the best course of, of improving a player. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting way to go forward. It, perhaps it might alienate him from particular players if they don't respond well, but Townsend's probably the type of player that he's shown in the past where... When previously people have said negative things about him, he has reacted in such a way to dispel that. And he will likely do that again. And that is probably a sign that Pochettino understands him when he's man-managing him. And he perhaps he wouldn't have done that with a different player if it was another player who he thought would have brought off. Because in all honesty, during that match, he could have brought anyone off after half an hour to change it because none of them were particularly better than one, any of the others. And perhaps yeah. if he felt that Townsend's character was the best to cope with that and he would be the one that would benefit the most from that, as well as the performance in general, then that is his call as the manager who knows those players the best. I don't think it, it, there is any conclusions that can be drawn from that. I think it was just a case that in that moment, in that time, that is the conclusion that the manager came to. And you, you have to, given how well he's done so far this season, sort of back his judgment and sort of see how that goes. I, You know what? I'm, I'm not the only person who quite, you know, okay, contextually within that moment, I quite like that he was able to do that. I mean, I, I quite like the idea of a manager who recognises... You know, Andros, like Roger says, Andros, Andros Townsend was one of ten players he could have been taken off, really, uh, after half an hour. But like, a manager who recognises clearly that he... Because that substitution was about Pochettino rather than Townsend. It was a recognition that he got it wrong, something needed to be changed. And, and how many managers would go, oh, you know, I'll give it until an hour or until half-time? And, and at least there was a recognition that something needed to change there and then. OK, it didn't work out, but... I always rather have a manager who's who's brave enough to make that decision and who's strong enough to make that decision than one who's not. Of course, I mean, let's be honest. This is a manager as well that's dropped the the club captain out of the side and has put him nowhere near it again for for whatever reason. But yeah, he's 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 nothing if he's not decisive, Pochettino. I think that's something we have to to give him his credit for. Um, I I just think that from the game, like I was saying to you beforehand, Seb, it, it felt like. We were, f- we were unfortunate only in the respect that what was a bad day for us coincided with an uncharacteristically thus far this season. Very good game for Manchester United. And obviously the two of those is a pretty deadly cocktail. Um, much, much like when we had a bad game against Liverpool, it only so happened that they were having a fairly bad day as well. Just a slightly less bad day than we were. 
I don't know how many more times I can say bad day in one single analogy, to be honest. Um, <laughs> sound like Daniel Powter. <laughs> I just need the little twatty beanie hat. Um, although, wasn't he, wasn't he wearing that to hide a hideous dis- dis- disformity or something? He had a, um, I think he had a car accident or something when he was younger. Oh, God. There's no, there's no comedy in car accidents. I won't, I won't touch on Did that. Did he actually have something wrong with him? I just thought he wore a hat. Yeah, he... Um, I, I, Your knowledge of Daniel Powell goes much deeper than mine does. Well, I, I remember reading an article about him years and years ago, um, and he—I think he—he he had a car crash when he was a, a child, and, and he had a um, had a had a scar. I thought I mean, you were going to say sure he had a bad was... day then, and and then he wrote the song. Yeah. Did Jolie and Lescott actually have a car crash, or is that just something that people say to make other people feel bad when they make fun of his forehead? I think, I think that's a, a, a birthmark. I think is it a birthmark? I thought it was a car crash. I don't know, mate. I, I, no, I, I'm guessing. I've obviously heard the same rumour that Jack has. Yeah, like Tevez had a kettle poured on him or something, didn't he? Didn't he? Yeah, it burns on his neck and he refuses to have uh, plastic surgery to um, fix that because he says it's part of I his like that, though. I like so that. I, I quite like it. He, he, Ribery was in a car crash. That's why he has his scar. And he's, he refuses plastic surgery, so... Yeah, up to the individual. If it doesn't bother you, who's, who's anybody else to kind of... Um... Exactly that. I'm sure they're millions and millions and millions of pounds comfort them as well. So, you know, not that money's everything, but it's a lot of things, isn't it? Um... <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, we've got Leicester City next. Tree, tree, anything else to add on Manchester United? Sorry, before we move on, lads. Tom? No, not no, really. That's it. It's pretty much done. Um, well, I, 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 I got to go one. Go thing. for it, I, mate. I, um, we, 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 we were talking before about the, the reaction to it, and I, yeah, um, good, po- good point. I've, good been, point. I've been a little dismayed about like just just how quickly people have reverted to sort of Sky's falling mentality. Yeah, and I, I just think yeah. you, you've got to like if if you if you're going to enjoy the process of a team growing, which is what the season has been, and and you know seeing individual players get better and learning the game and seeing the emergence of Mason and Kane and Bentleb, you've got to take moments like this because it's part of the process and no one likes it and no one enjoyed it and, you know, it was just its pretty dispiriting. We can all admit that. But, you know, you've got to get out of this habit of, of trying to assess where a team is going on a 90-minute per 90 by 90-minute basis. It seems to be like, um, you know, I, I, I sound like one of those, tedious kind of against modern football people but it does seem to be a really a, a, a kind of a, a trait of modernity in that um, everything changes within a space of a week and the perception and the kind of the fans mentality it's one result you, you look at it there are things to learn from it there is a you know that that sort of young um, hub of players have only experienced praise and you know um and acclaim from all quarters, and, and, and everything that's said about them in every, every way, whether in the press or on Twitter, has been hugely complimentary. doesn't necessarily do players any harm to have a little bit of a reality check every now and again, um, as long as they react positive, positively to it, as long as they recognise that, that, that they, 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 sort of, they, um, they take it for what it is, develop a sort of a reference point in their minds for what is and what is not acceptable in that kind of fixture, and then they move on from it. And I, 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 you can be disappointed, but also pragmatic and say it, it happened. Um, now let's see what happens against us. I think one of the most damning 
damning parts of it for me is it's like people's like complete and utter like lack of willing to accept the fact that not everything about a functioning football team happens within those 90 minutes right because i mean we we've we've all mentioned it previously that Ryan Mason for example of this crop of youngsters is the most expendable out of them right i mean you would kind of fully expect that Delielli or perhaps a new signing in summer is probably going to take Ryan Mason's place. Um, but there's still this kind of level that, you know, after that game, I've seen quite a few people now say like, right, when are we going to suddenly face up to the fact now that Ryan Mason just isn't good enough? It's like, well, I don't think anyone's ever really said that like Ryan Mason is here because he's world-class because he's playing at, X a level and because his passing's immense or his you know knack for scoring is incredible. A lot of people have always commented on the fact, and one of the main things that's been built up around Ryan Mason is the fact he's a real trier, you know. And that that maybe sounds a bit derisory, but he he's a very much a, a heart on the sleeve kind of guy. He loves Tottenham. You can see he's he just absolutely loves every minute of this kind of ride he's on at the moment that yeah it's almost like a dream come true for him uh, he's 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 actually playing in the premier league for spurs now something which i'm sure at his age now he probably thought was never going to happen but he's embracing it he's played in the cup final and i think he probably himself realizes that he's maybe the most expendable out of the new options but at the same time everyone's sort of saying when are we going to admit that he's shit when's he going to get dropped from the team you know I'm all for sentimentality but get rid of him so on and so forth and you just think kind of well what's the knock-on effect of that because you know let's not for a start underpin the value of the kind of camaraderie that we have in the side at the moment you know perhaps Ryan Mason isn't like an exemplary footballer that he doesn't have all the kind of prowess of someone like Bentaleb or even the potential of someone like Bentaleb but at the same time he clearly has forged a bond with the likes of Kane with the likes of Bentaleb and it's equally damaging for them I feel that if they see someone like Mason have a few bad games and just gets dropped from the side and never heard of again they're always going to be thinking well how how many poor performances do I have to put in before I'm dropped from the side as well you know there is, is there's just there's, there's more to consider than just you know his passing was off today or you know he he had that chance where he could have scored but he just hit it tamely wide so we should get rid of him and just admit that Mason is a failed experiment and you know get Dembele back in the side it's just you know just try and look a little bit deeper than just the surface and see kind of the effect that that would have on the team as a as a wider thing i don't know maybe i'm going off on one but no spot on spot excellent rant mate and 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 absolutely true i i um like people 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 are just so people want to be the first at everything people want to put an opinion out on twitter about mason for example and then they want to then they want to retweet it in six months time to say that they were the first to come up with it and you're just thinking oh fuck off you know just like just just the boys ground his way into a premier league football team uh you know given the opportunity to to stay there and also accept that you know he's gonna make mistakes because you know that's 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 the game that's that's the learning curve um and yeah the thing about mason that i've said previously as well is that given the level of injury and the, the loan 
uh, periods that he's had previously before breaking into the side. His development is probably no further along than a, a player would be a few years younger yeah. than him because he's not had as as, as much of a chance to play as, as other people have. So there is that element to him. He may peak later than other players, which does occur. Um, and does happen, and he would probably comfortably play 90% of the sides in the Premier League and be an effective part of their midfield. And if we were to, at some point, have somebody who would be a better option for the side than he would, you would hope that he would understand that he would still have a place within the squad because for most of the home games against any side that's lower than us in the league, there's probably not a better option than Mason in an attacking sense from that midfield in that formation because he will give us impetus going forwards and he helps in that sense. So he he will have a, a part to play in the squad. It's not a, a case of you know going from one extreme to the other where he should be playing every single match and be the person we depend on and lean on the most to if he's had a bad game or he's he's had an extended period where he's not been at his best, that he should be, you know, cut from the team entirely. There should be a, a balance there. It's it's probably a, a a deeper reflection on the quality of the rest of the squad that we've become so reliant on the likes of Kane, Bent Eleven, Mason, rather than the other way around. They they've got to you know, we've got to recognise that the reason they play in so much is because they're they're better than what we have in reserve and the only way that they're going to be pushed is if we we look to improve on what we have underneath them rather than, you know, in on top of them. Did either of you guys happen to see um Adebayor's words today about the darkest point of his career? I've um I've I've got it saved in my pocket account. I've not read the interview yet, but he tends to give about four of those interviews a season. He d- so, yeah, that's true. Like, that's true. The, 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 I mean, I don't mean to be harsh. No, that's true. In a person, in a personal sense, we've defended numerous times when others have written him off in the past. Um, whenever there's anything happened in his personal life that has warranted him to have time off or would have a negative impact on his psyche or anything like that, when you know people are making juju jokes or whatever, we didn't want to be. Culturally, culturally insensitive. We didn't know how much that would actually play on his mind, or, or what have you. But it does sort of grate when it becomes sort of a. My mum would call it a boy that cries wolf situation. She would say that you know if you complain about the thing once, then it would you know have an impact. But when you say it five or six times, it becomes less palatable. Um, you, you you start to lose patience with it, and although it is funny that I, you know I say he gives four of these interviews a season, he he does. I yeah. mean, me and Jack often reference that very odd um, interview he once gave to Sky, where he was on about naming kids after him when he thought he was going to die. And although that's not a, a a funny situation at all, he he puts himself across in a very strange way. It's quite way revealing to, of his character, wasn't it? Yeah, he tends to do this several times a season, and. Um, I think Soldado tweeted during the just before the game that he had a knee issue, um, and I imagine the only reason Adibayor was in the squad was purely because we had no other option, and he there was no one else. Yeah, there's there's no conceivable uh, alternative to him, and I imagine he shall be going in the summer. And um, I don't I'm think not yet... he fits, Raj. I don't think I don't think even if he was playing well, or I just don't see how he works into this side in in, in his current shape. So I, I just. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm with you guys. I, I've always, I, I quite like Adebayor, and I, I quite like him as a person. Actually, I think he's quite, 
he, he comes across quite well, regardless of how regularly he does these interviews. And, and he has, people forget, he has been through some horrendously traumatic experiences in the last few years. Um, things that, you know, we can't really imagine. I mean, that Togo bus incident is just, it's enough to, um, to derail even the most stable mind. Um, but I just don't think it is, yeah, he just doesn't have a role anymore. And I think, I think the regularity of his interviews might be a, a symptom of just how much time he has and just how much on the, uh, how on the periphery he really is in football now. Cause he's not really, I mean, I, I, it's, it's a bit of a, um, a silly point to make given how much footballers earn, but it must be quite a strange experience just to be completely disenfranchised from your side week to week. Um, so I've got a degree of sympathy, but you know, the, the sooner he um, he finds himself, uh, you know, a, a starting spot somewhere, the better for everyone. I think. I think there's only so many times. There's only so many times you can see it of Adebayo, or it, you know, it's happened to him at Arsenal. Well, not so much at Arsenal because he kind of got poached from there, which is quite funny, really. Um, well, supposedly his attitude really deteriorated at Arsenal. I mean, the Arsenal fans. I mean, if you speak to Arsenal fans now, I think a lot of the resentment isn't just about the the, the, the Man City. <laughs> moment um moments it's it's kind of um it, it it's because for the last six months of his career there he, he he did pretty much phone in his performances and so you know as he he's um he's created some of the animosity towards himself uh, definitely i think he would he would be very happy um if they were to remove all pressure from his game if he was to go and earn a hundred, two hundred grand a week playing in the Far East or in Abu Dhabi or not not in Abu Dhabi in, in China or something like that, and earn an absolute packet for doing not very much work in an environment where he's he will be a level above no matter how much effort he puts in. I think that will dovetail quite nicely with with his career ambitions at present. There's a part of me that just hopes Monaco go back for him though as well. You know, while they've maybe still got a bit of money kicking about and because I can imagine him doing all right in the in the French league as well. Yeah, I mean I I I still think he's a very very good player. I mean, you know, when he plays, he's I mean we we saw last season, but I mean I, I don't think his quality is ever in doubt and that's no. that's kind of part of the issue really with him is just that you know how good he can be. I mean, he he um he's uh, at his very very best. He he's someone who who would make I can't imagine many teams not finding a space for him, um, but that's kind of rare, unfortunately. We've, I think we've, we've, everyone said this one at length, haven't you? There's only so many times you can talk about the frustrating talent that could have been with Emmanuel Adebayor. It's uh, he's just one of those players. Um, but if we are to go forwards onto Leicester City now, um, which is a, obviously a glamour time. We're not actually speaking to anyone this week, by the way. You're going to have to deal with just the three of us listeners or listener. Hi, mum. Um, <laughs> uh, have you started calling Seb's mum mum now? <laughs> no, not quite yet. We're, I'm not, we're not allowed to do these Seb's mum's jokes. She listens. I wasn't making no. a joke. She genuinely, she's the only one of our mothers, as far as I'm aware, that actually listens. No, well, she loves it. Um, I, th- I wouldn't let my mum listen to this. No, she. she but the, the worst thing about it is, like, when when she when she talks about the podcast, she talks about Raj. <laughs> Why? She's like, oh, Baines is great. I think she thinks your first name is Baines rather than Raj. I don't. I don't know why, but I think it's because Jack calls you Baines every now and again. Oh. But um, yeah, no, no, George, he's he, he's great. I was like, brilliant. <laughs> Good for you. No, it's very impressive. That, that's fine. I, I I appreciate feedback in any form. 
Yeah, when it's when it's praised. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, to be fair, nobody's ever said a negative word about my work in the past, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't know. <laughs> You you are you you are universally loved everywhere you go. Yeah, obviously. Leicester City they haven't actually won since they played Tottenham Hotspur in the FA Cup. Look at that running order. Look at that dotting its way. Doc- That's terrific. Doctor Tottenham, Doctor Tottenham, <laughs> in town to save the Walkers Crisps people. Um, this is I don't know. What, should we say something about Gary Lineker perhaps? That's often he's he's the person that gets called out to talk about this game, isn't he? What can we say about what's your favourite Gary Lineker moment, Seb? Roger's too young for Gary Lineker. I think we're probably a little bit too young for real vivid Gary Lineker memories, aren't we? I um we are. I think even even though I mean I I've, I never I didn't see it live, but um I still think um the nineteen ninety uh, equaliser in the semi-final in the World Cup yeah. because I didn't see it but I, I, I watch it and I, I, I can imagine what it, what it meant yeah. at the time yeah. I just think that's such a um, I, love, I love everything about that moment I, the finish is great but I love the look on his face when he scores and, and I just it's just a great English football moment and um, people like what, what troubles me about Lineker is that people give him a hard time on Twitter Lineker's a proper legend of the game, yeah. I mean, he's he's. I mean, uh, you know, for, for younger people, look, he's the crisp guy, and he's the guy from Match of the Day. <laughs> look at his resume. I mean, like, look, look at what the guy achieved during his career. Some, uh, um, yeah. He just, I don't know. I, I, I get a little bit sensitive. About I think, that. I think he's he's. The problem is he's crap on Twitter. That's why he kind of gets quite a lot of stick <laughs> on there. He's like, you know, it, 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 he does have those moments, and I'm like, Dad, you know, put your phone away. Like, stop it. You know, stop it. But I think as a broadcaster, I think he's exceptional. I really, really like Gary Lineker. He's probably the only... Can you think of another example of a um, of a, an ex-player who hasn't evolved into a great pundit, but actually a really good television personality, really polished presenter? I don't know, Paul Merson, Martin Keown, Robbie Savage. <laughs> you know? Jesus Christ. Mar- Yo, Martin Keown is a man that... Honestly, you know, he's one of those guys he doesn't even have... And perhaps there's something to be said for this, like uh, an air... I don't even want to kind of give him any sort of plaudit. But perhaps there's something to be said for a guy that you can completely envisage, goes home, you know, puts his car keys down, gives his wife a kiss, goes into the bathroom, looks in the mirror and says, you're the shit, Martin. Like, <laughs> you're really fucking good at what you do. Because... He just strikes me as that type of guy. He strikes me as the type of guy that looks at himself and he's just like, I re-, like, there's no, there's, there's just, there's no self doubt there at all. But just everything, I, I, maybe it is an Arsenal thing. Maybe I'm just biased because it's it Spurs and he's such an Arsenal legend. But he just makes my skin crawl every time I see him on television. He's so smug and he's so self satisfied. Do you think other people feel that about Lineker though? For example. I think he's roundly well liked, isn't he? I think so. Yeah, I mean, Keown, like for the young, for, for younger audience, Keown, Keown will always be associated with that Old Trafford moment with Ruud van Nistelrooy. Oh, um, and that's the only time I've ever kind of rooted for Roy Keane to hurt someone on a football pitch. Yeah. I just thought that was one of the most obnoxious things I've ever seen. Like just that jumping into him, classless bullshit. I always want Roy Keane to hurt people. <laughs> yeah. You've got a bit. You, we, we established this last week, didn't we? You, you and your man crush on Roy Keane. 
Yeah, I I, I appreciate that level of physicality <laughs> in in my sports, um, which won't come as a surprise. But as you were speaking, um, in a broadcaster sense, would Eric Cantona count? Um, yeah, I suppose so because Cantona is a pretty polished actor. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I mean, I, I look at sort of foreign players, foreign ex players, and their transition into um, into media lands as a bit of a different thing. I just English players. I don't know. Can you? I just can't think of anybody from the current generation, maybe the exception of Frank Lampard, but um, who, who could do something similar. Lasso's not terrible. The few times I've seen yeah. him things, but he again, you say he goes more towards the punditry side of things, so doesn't he? Yeah, he does. I mean, he's a very smart guy, Graham Lasso, and you know he's he's fairly articulate. But I, I just I don't know. Someone it, it takes a little bit more than that. It takes a sort of a, a weird personality detail to be a presenter. I think. I tell you what, Rio Ferdinand thinks he's carried. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Asthmatic and thinks he's really cool, but he's really not. Like, he's proper bumbling about. I remember he, he did that FA Cup, top 50 FA Cup moments or something like that, with like Oli Mers or something. And he like he, he walked about the place like he thought he was a top polished yeah. presenter. And it was really good, but he he really wasn't. He was very wooden. You know, there was really not- nothing to him. Another I feel, though, that might be like that is, uh, and again, I'll probably run the risk of sounding like a, a bitter spud, as they like to call us on Twitter, um, is Thierry Henry. I feel that, like, you know, he it, there's that kind of, like, there's that air of kind of, like, brilliance applied to him because he's French and he's not English. And so people naturally, well, English people naturally think it's kind of more sexy and there's something more debonair about it. But I, I, I reckon your average, like, French person would look at Henri and think he's kind of a bit of a Rio Ferdinand. I don't think there's anything special that about him. He doesn't... You know, I, I was thinking... It, it, interesting you brought that up, because I was thinking about this on, on Saturday when he was doing his punditry, and I was thinking, yeah, you, you know, you're, you're, you're a handsome guy and you're well-dressed and, you know, you speak in quite a, you know, a sort of in measured tone. What are you actually saying? I mean, it's sort of... I mean, he made Redknapp look quite insightful. Which is not a good place to be in if you're a pundit, really. Yeah, but Seb, what is the French for Vavavum? Oh, God. <laughs> dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Um, do you remember that um, that Nike advert where he had a football in his house and it was all the Man United players that were coming to tackle him when it was actually his dog or something like that at the end of it? Back when Nike adverts were really good. Wow, shots are fired. No, but they Nike, when they had that, uh, they had that submarine one, <laughs> As well, where was it? Next goal wins, where they had the silver ball oh, on the um, in the cage. Yeah, that's one of the best bits of football advertising ever. Yeah, and like then there was a... the airport one as well. 
for one of the World Cups. I think Van Hal was in that in a helicopter, wasn't he? I'm uh, I'm going to take this conversation above you, Raj, and and um, and take it to Jack for our kind of old bastard section. Right. Do you remember that that mo- that there was a, an advert in the '90s where like Cantona? I was a, I was alive in the '90s, by the way. Yeah, sort of though. I mean, <laughs> you know, only in a, only in a, only like literally. Um, <laughs> and there was like Cantona and a whole load of other like um, contemporary players were. They went into this sort of weird outer space world and played a, a game against like a kind of alien race, and it ended with Cantona getting the ball and kicking it through a devil's head. Kicking it through a devil's head. No, it yeah. wasn't outer space. It was it was it was the forces of hell. They came to play them in <laughs> in the Colosseum. They played in the Colosseum. Um, I remember that advert because I I remember for like years after that because I probably my favourite player like actual rather than like appreciating their game or something like that or favorite player to watch or anything like that but my favorite probably football personality is Eric Cantona because he was the big player when I were a kid and Manchester United were the big team uh, obviously surely Cantona um, wasn't the big player when you were a kid because he, he was, was like he the was. big player when I was a kid no, he he was massive when I was little, and he, that advert specifically I remember quite vividly because I remember flicking up the collars on whatever sports shirt I was wearing because of that yeah. advert specifically. Au revoir. And, um, yeah, I had a very a very big fondness for Cantona just because he's again with that Roy Keenness to him because he had that bit of aggression to him and that bit of arsiness and, and stuff I, I really liked him and, and the stuff he's done since and the way he speaks about like that Crystal Palace incident and that I don't regret it the man said something to me so I kicked him in the face I completely agree with him I, 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 I only wish that he'd kicked him harder so he, he's um, I, I quite enjoy him to be honest he's, he's one of the few footballers that actually has quite a an agreeable personality I mean he, he was the original Zlatan Zlatan is yeah, yeah. anywhere as close to being as effortlessly cool and arrogant as, as Cantona was uh, Zlatan's a little he, he tries a little bit too hard compared yeah well, he's I mean, a marketing creation but but at the same time, I think that's kind of that's that's maybe the uh, the glare of modernity is maybe sullying you against Latin a bit because I, I I kind of feel that a lot of people at the time would have said the same thing about Cantona, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, maybe. Saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't disagree with that. That's fair. Because enough. he was yeah, kind of like Nike's had the... first, like he was like their first bow, if you if you want. He was kind of um, I suppose the first proper icon of of the, the sort of the age of the game that we live in now. I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a fair point. But uh, if, if we were we were talking about Roy Keane, and if we're talking about shit houses as well, um, we're just avoiding Leicester. Then we're not speaking. Well, about I was going to I was going to bring up Nigel Pearson because it, we were having a good old chat about this offline or off air, should I say? Um, I'm going to get wanky about it. What are we thinking about? Because I, I was saying earlier to you, lads, he, he seems to me the type of... I don't know if anyone listening, if you all saw his press conference earlier where he's uh, <coughs> he's been called out by a, by a journo in the press conference. Not even called out. The journo just asks him kind of, you know, do you think your season's tailing off? And he, he, he got all like kind of funny about it. And I was saying that like, you can imagine him being the type of guy that like, if he has that journo's phone number or something like that, Beg your pardon. Would be texting him, being like, "Look, mate, if you want to start asking me questions like that, giving me lip, right? Come see me out the car park, yeah, and ask me those. All right, all right, because I can handle myself." So that's what he said before, wasn't it? When he, uh, I can't remember. 
<coughs> oh, fuck, I'm dying here. Um, it's because I'm 30, isn't it? Um, Falling apart. But do you like him, Nigel Pearson? Or do you think he should just... You know, is it a case of, like, a lot of neutrals seem to like Tim Sherwood, for example. Um, and I quite like Nigel Pearson, but I almost feel that, like, Leicester fans probably feel for Pearson what we felt for Sherwood. Um... I, I like I, I I don't know what I feel about Pearson, but I like that moment on Saturday because the journalist used a, an antagonistic phrase to um to kind of demean his season, and he took exception to it. And I think there should be more in that game. I've always got time for a manager who does that. There have been times when I've wanted a Tottenham manager to do that when some uffy little prick has you know makes some smart ass remark in a press conference. Neil Ashton. And he just. For example, I, I I wasn't thinking of anyone specific, <laughs> but you, you just think, yeah. I mean, because sometimes, I mean, I, look, I I I don't mean the guy that sort of moans about the press all the time, but that sometimes there's whenever something like that happens, you always look at the reaction of media uh, of media people on Twitter or online or in columns, and it's as if like swearing at a journalist is the worst football crime you can possibly commit. It's like sort of it, they, they treat it as some kind of heresy, and you just think. Actually, you, you go there to, n- not always, but sometimes to wind these guys up. And it's quite human to react like that. And I, I just thought, yeah, fair enough. Why not? You know, you just, you're under pressure as it is. And, you know, you're being bombarded with questions in a press conference. And you've just had a frustrating result. I think it's okay. I, I don't, I really don't have a problem with it. And I quite like a manager who, um, who can be emotional. I think it's good. What about you, Baines? I like him just because he's a bit aggro. I mean, he start he dresses a bit like a, he dresses like and actually looks a bit like my old PE teacher, who used to always preface uh, whenever we did football, used to start a drill with uh, when I taught James Milner this it would be how he'd start things. He was one of those, so. <laughs> um, and he um, he looks and sounds a bit like him. But he, um, I just like the fact that he he's quite normal, like. He, He's quite obviously ignored any media training he's ever had. Like calling him a, <laughs> calling him a prick under his breath is, as I was saying to you two, is what we would do in like a normal. Surrounded by microphones. Like yeah, if you've ever worked in an office, like you'll like have a little laugh and a joke with someone who's got a desk near you, but you'll walk away and sort of under your breath you go, "You're a bit of a bell end." So it's um. No, he's just a bit normal. I like that about him. I mean, some of the things he's done, like that time he held he, he, that lad were on the floor and he held his. Uh, throat as a bit of a joke that, that very dry sense of humor i don't think he was doing that at all seriously i think it was just him that's how what he finds funny um i don't mind that whatsoever have you heard the wolves story with him no basically he um between i'm not sure if it was before the season that before i think it was the season before last he was um he went backpacking in some mountainous region oh himself. yes i have heard i have heard this year when you got surrounded by wolves. No. All right. Okay. So <laughs> it's, like, it's like it's like the plot of a Liam Neeson film. It Pearson goes hiking in in like this mountainous region, and he's just wandering around, and, and somehow he conspires to find himself surrounded by a pack of wolves. <laughs> and he, it's, it's it's obviously quite dangerous and not at all funny, but he, the way he tells it is so matter of fact. He kind of just goes. He just sort of talks about. He, he, he talks about his sort of his, <laughs> his 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 fear, but in this incredibly unemotional way. And um, he just kind of goes. Yeah, I just kind of 
wound myself into a big ball and eventually they went away or something like that. And it's just like, it's such a such an improbable situation for a Premier League football manager to find themselves in. <laughs> I was hoping it's going to be one of those, like when he was like, well, I just thought I'd better have it then. And I was just imagining this tale of him like kicking wolves in the heads and like swinging <laughs> them around by the tail and throwing them off a cliff and all this kind of thing. Proper like, proper having it naughty with these... With these wolves, but such a strange story. But yeah, he um he survived um potential death by wolves. This is the same story. I've just pulled it up now. Um, like I'll read it to you. <clears throat> uh, this is this will go on my reel for when I do voiceover work. If anyone ever wants a Yorkshire accent or something, but, what, um, what do you imagine yourself doing voiceover work for? Anything if they pay me the right amount of money, anything. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> there's always been this story circulating in football that Nigel Pearson, Leicester City's record-breaking manager, once fought a bear in Romania. It wasn't a bear. <laughs> it was a pack of five vicious dogs, and they almost killed the backpacking Pearson. Pearson had done his research three years ago before boarding the Rattler from Sheffield to London, the Eurostar to France, and then trains across Europe and deep into the... Carpathian Mountains. He'd read up on these dogs who inhibit the area, protecting their owner's sheep, regularly killing bears and occasionally attacking hikers. Pearson was walking alone when confronted by the pack. One dog went straight for him, trying to occupy his attention, while the other four circled behind, looking to bite his legs. Pearson blinded a couple with his walking pole, (laughs) then fended the others off before diving into stinging nettles. The dogs loathe these because of their sensitive noses. It went quiet and Pearson thought the dogs had gone, so he set off walking again, but the pack was waiting and attacked again. Sweat poured off him, Pearson backed up against a tree and poked with his walking poles at the eyes of the dogs until they gave up, leaving him to his walking holiday. He loves a walk. That's my escapism, Pearson said. And uh, that's the story of Pearson and the Wolves. It does sound like a. It sounds like one of Hercules's trials, doesn't it? It does. It does. Like so, uh, Odysseus returning from Troy. <laughs> yeah. But really, it's a scared old fifty-year-old man poking a stick in some dog's eyes. Fucking hell, that's <laughs> exceptional. Speaking of old men, right? We f- fuck less. We're going to beat them, aren't we? Two 0 Spurs, I say. What do you reckon, lads? I, t- I tell you, I, I'm, I'm confident. I think we'll win. Um, but um, watch out for um, if you haven't seen him yet. Watch out for Andre Kramerich. He's a good player. He um, he he's only scored twice since he came to England. But he um, so he'll score against us. Yeah. So Dr. Tottenham will do, yeah. do his work again. But he um, he he's a really good player. And I he um, before he arrived at Leicester, he was supposedly on Chelsea's radar. And um, there's a bit of an anomaly in him actually going to Leicester. I think that. There's some kind of agreement whereby he will have uh, he will move on at the end of the season, regardless of what happens to Leicester, and he will um, he will become a very very good player. So um, if you're going to the game or if you're watching it, have a have a look at him. Bit of a Modric to Tottenham, is it? Give us a chance, come to us. We know you're going to leave, but yeah, indulge us. Yeah, um, but I reckon we'll beat him. Do you reckon we'll beat him, Raj? Hopefully, yeah. As long as we play to the best of his ability and uh, and sort of oppose ourselves better than. Um better than we did against United will be all right. Um, I can't, in recent months, I can't remember us having too many back-to-back poor performances. Um, I think they've, they've the squad, given their new sort of mental rigidity, tend to bounce, not, I, I don't want to say bounce back, um, they tend to react better to poorer results than we may have previously done. Um, so it's, um, 
Yeah, so it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, people always fall into the pitfall of looking at the league too much with these ones, because um, with the final third of the season, sort of any sort of logic tends to go out of the window because people are getting very desperate, and uh, these results tend to tend to happen where clubs somehow find something that they hadn't previously to get a result that they otherwise wouldn't have done. So it's um, it's an interesting prospect, but I imagine, especially given the manner in which we lost to them in the cup, which I don't imagine Pochettino will be at all amused with, he'll uh, he'll want to perform quite well in this one. Um, I was we were just talking about old men previously, um, talking about Nigel Pearson, and I, I wanted to give you lads a little update on my uh, my old manism. I think Seb will appreciate this one more. I had one of these moments, like, since I turned 30, and it's, it's genuinely, it's one of these, it's only since I've turned 30 that I'm so much more sensitive to it. I was out in, uh, in, in H&M the other day, and I was trying to, I, I just kind of had one of those moments, where I was like, you know, I need to refresh my wardrobe a bit, I need to get a couple of new shirts and stuff, because, you know, when you work in an office and you wear kind of the same clothes day in, day out, you know that people are starting to notice when you're wearing the same clothes and so on and so forth. So you, you need to Shouldn't you be fresh. shopping in, like, um, M&S and BHS at your age? Well, mate, getting getting close. H&M's kind of, it's like a segue to that, isn't it? You know, it's not it's not quite top, man, but it's, you know. Um, but anyway, so I, I'm, I was looking at this one shirt. You know, nothing particularly bad, just a kind of, like, plaid shirt, standard kind of thing that you would see any kind of rock and roll indie superstar wearing nowadays. And uh, I was saying that for effect, Ross, don't worry. Um, and I, I was kind of looking at it. I was thinking, like, you know, going through the sizes, seeing if I had the right size and kind of feeling the fabric and all this kind of thing. And I, I just kind of felt this presence behind me. And I look around and there was a man who was comfortably in his 50s waiting behind me to look at the same shirt <laughs> as me and instantly from that moment I was just like no I'm not I'm not buying that shirt I'm not and I walked off kind of thinking like hopefully he's not going to be buying that but lo and behold like that man was he was he was looking at that shirt and he was he was going for it and you know a few years back I'd have thought oh well silly old fucker you know he's just going to buy the same shirt as me mug you know go home granddad kind of thing that, but, that, that, that's too young for you yeah, exactly. But now I'm like, Jesus, Jesus, like in a whole, like, you know, fairly large H&M size store, I was uh, drawn to exactly the same point that this old man was. And I just wanted to share that. I wanted to share that with you, guys, you know. You, you, you want to know the, what the next stage of this is? Because I've, um, I've had eight months of 30 now. And um, you go from that, I've had that. Now, when I go clothes shopping, I don't think really about what looks good I, I kind of I, my, my internal monologue sort of assesses what what might be warm <laughs> yeah <laughs> comfortable God. you know and um yeah so it, it doesn't get better mate i'm afraid it gets gets worse and you kind of you know i wonder if those will last a long time those shoes look durable lovely do you wear like hush puppies and stuff now sir no i don't mate I, i'm not I, no I'm, I'm i'm okay with shoes um but i um yeah, no, I've started, I, I've kind of gone through a bit of a, a big jumper phase, and um, I've, I've been I've been working from home for quite a long time now, and it's sort of it's taken its toll. I look like I've kind of lived in a cage for five years. Do you wear like, do you wear lots of cardigans? No, I'm not a cardigan person. I'm a jumper. I'm a big jumper person. So like some kind of 
Do you mean big jumper in that you're highly enthusiastic about them or that the jumpers are big? Um, no, not baggy big, as in, like, I'm not trying to be a kind of, like, winter version of a member of the Stone Roses or anything like that. But, <laughs> like, I, just, like, something, something sort of, something warm, something functional. You know, something that sort of, yeah, I just, I don't get dressed to work anymore. I just put on clothes that are clean. Something your mum would like, that kind of, not, I'm not making a mum joke at your expense, I mean mum in the rhetorical sense. Well, second time in the same podcast. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Um, no, I, yeah, well, I, I, no, not really. I, I just, um, yeah, I just want to be warm, comfortable. That's fair. That's all I look for now. I thought working from home was all about just pants, basically. I thought that's... Yeah. I thought that's how it works. Well, famously, the other, the other day when me and Seb spoke to Musa, I had to get dressed before (laughs) I spoke to them, because I felt, if it was just Seb, I would have got, just spoken to him in my pants, but... Because we had a guest on the line, I thought I best put some clothes on. So is it just in case on Skype you you put on video calling? No, so. it's just because I think you feel a bit more professional um, if you've got <laughs> clothes on. Um, I can imagine you wearing a suit before you speak to some of the guests now, Raj. I can imagine you like going off to your wardrobe and putting on your Sunday best and everything, and no, sitting down. Um, and... No, I don't. I don't do that at all. Um, but just <laughs> putting some clothes on, I think, is better than nothing at all. Um, purely because I, I spend so much of my time in this corner of my room working that I've, you know, it just sort of becomes like a hermit's nest. Um, so you become a bit too comfortable in it. I mean, you you occasionally read these, like, pieces by people who are like, been freelancing for a few years that say that they, when they get up of a morning, they'll, like, have their pyjamas on, but they'll put on, like, a pair of proper work shoes so that when they sit at their desk, it feels like they're at work. Yeah, I, I, I do that. Yeah. I mean, not not with the pyjamas, but with the shoes. Yeah, you always go wear shoes. Yeah, I don't. I I just I always wear barefooted. What's the um? What's the name of that um? That that Yorkshire broadband company. What Kingston's Communications? No, no. I, I'm just thinking of you and voiceover work. A plus net. <laughs> Oh, Jack said this before. Jack was under the impression that all uh, Yorkshire broadband was by Plusnet, but um, no. I I actually... um, The office I work in is only about two roads up from where theirs is, and I walk past it every now and then. But um, I'm not aware of anyone who actually uses it. Although I was... um, One of my mates was telling us he's from Hull, um, although I don't hold that against him too much. Um... He was telling us that Hull have got sort of this monopoly of uh, broadband where you literally don't have access to any outside broadband, that it's only KC broadband you can get, um, and that it's really quick and it's really like affordable, but they've sort of just like signed off the entire city so that anyone in Hull can only get that one broadband provider. It's not available anywhere else, and you can't get any other provider, it's just that one, um, which I found very strange. Isn't that spectacularly illegal? I'm not sure what it is, but um, I'm not sure what it is. But the some sort know, of weird monopoly rule, surely. But um, I don't know what it is. But it, I, can't, I, I mean, I've not spent enough time in Hull to know any different, and I really don't plan to. Um, but apparently, from from somebody who'd lived there themselves, uh, that's the case. That the vast majority of people, or if not all of them, have this one broadband service because it is centred around Hull. That's the that's the place they provide. 
Um, right, I was going to say, like, very quick, I was going to move on to some listener questions, but we haven't actually re- received many this week. Um, do you not want to uh, do an update on uh, how our Super League Dream teams are doing? I saw you tweet that, actually. Go on, go on, give it, give, give us your little rundown as quickly as you can, then, Bane, go on. Uh, rem- remember to tell everyone how difficult it is. It is really yeah, difficult. Yeah, true, yeah. Um, what a great mind it takes to, you know, <laughs> succeed in the uh, world of fantasy rugby league. Yeah. RFC Tusk a third still, uh, manager Jack Hussey, supports none, points uh, week 398, points month 774, points total 1627. Uh, second position, Southern Owls, manager Seb Stafford Blow, supports none, points week 495, points month 958. <laughs> Points total. He's such a smug shit, isn't he? He's just... <laughs> Points total, 2,132. Team name number one, uh, Baines 13, manager Raj Baines, supports Rhinos. Points week, 596. Points month, 1,145. Points total, 2,745. So that's about a 600-point advantage now I have over Seb in uh, in second place. But given you can get, like, 500... I've got pretty much 600 points this week. It would take... If I had one shit week and you have a couple of good ones, um, you can catch us up still. It's by no means uh, done. I always manage to, like, one of my players He's, doesn't he, play. He, he feels so far ahead of us that he has to build up our confidence. I know, right? No, no, no. No, I'm genuinely saying He's that. almost giving you... He's like he's rubbing your shoulders at the moment. Seb's so close enough. If, back, you know. if Jack actually does some substitutions and, like, takes Trout out of his team just because he found his name funny and picks someone who actually plays, then he may well start being, you know, like it's, it's, competitive. It's it's from Slaughterhouse Five, it's Kilgore Trout, it's K Trout. Like that's that was my, you know. He doesn't play though, Jack. We haven't even heard of him. Well, you know, I like it though. But he doesn't get any points. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's life's about doing what you like, Raj. You know, it's, it's also about loyalty, Jack. Exactly. <laughs> you stand by him. Well, this is like in in my um, I've got a fantasy Premier League. We should do a fantasy Premier League next season with just us three in it again to see how it goes. Um, I can actually work out how I can find out how close me and Jack are if we go into the. Actually, yeah, me and Jack are um, first and second in the uh, Spurs Statman Writers League. Um, total, I won't do the game week. Um, I'll do the total points. Jack has one thousand three hundred eighty-six. I have one thousand four hundred fifty-two. Um, try and find how many Seb has. Uh, I'm gonna log into my account. I'll find out. Yeah, if you find out how many you have, because you've got like you've got about 800 people in your league as well. You've got your Premier League our league that is amazingly popular. Yeah, which I but the problem with fantasy football is I kind of you, you kind of you have a couple of bad weeks and you sort of lose interest. I'm 67th in your league. I'm, I then you're definitely ahead of me. I'm. I'm... Yeah, yeah, you're 109th. You've got 1385. So what is that compared to Jack 1385? Oh, you're one point behind Jack. See, this is the way Ooh. it always works. You two... Competition. As far as fantasy sports go, I have got this lockdown between us three. Well, it's maybe what you do in bed until, like, 11 in the morning, to be fair, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. Looking through fucking spreadsheets. I bet he compiles his own spreadsheets. Who's doing what? Look, you know? I may or may not work for the company that actually provides the statistics for the game, so... <laughs> it's... There's no insider trading taking part here, I can guarantee you that. 
And I may or may not work for a company that contributes absolutely nothing to football. So, you know. <laughs> And here I am following suit. We had one from Colonel Katafi at what? Walker. Yeah, Colonel Katafi. Um, I was once to know, there's a guy in Leeds, sorry about this, but there's a guy yeah, in Leeds who dresses like Colonel Gaddafi and he gets on the same train as me. Um, he, like, he wears that same style of coat and hat and like it was the day after like Colonel Gaddafi died and I saw him on the train for the first time and I was like, Whoa, what is he doing here? But um, I'll find a picture and tweet him out because I'm sure I've taken a photo and sent it to my friends before. But if you, if, if you want to carry on with the question... <laughs> It was basically, he just said, talk about football. Uh, talk about football, well, that would be a pertinent point. Yeah. Right? But, uh, talk about television, because we don't talk about television anymore, which is a good point. And I wanted to talk to you lads about House of Cards, because Series 3 is a part No, 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 because I've just started watching it. Yeah, I've only got, I've, I've only got two or three episodes right. left. Well, I, I've, I've watched the whole series. I won't, I won't spoil anything for either of you. But the one point I wanted to raise about House of Cards Series 3 that I, I felt was kind of easily relatable to, to Tottenham at the moment and a lot of the fans' discontent around, you know, like we were saying, some of this kind of knee-jerk discontent that's arised around uh, Manchester United, so on and so forth. One of the big points of criticism I've heard about this series of House of Cards is that it, it was infinitely more exciting to watch Frank Underwood on his rise to power, as opposed to him actually now being in power. Um, and it's something that I haven't actually agreed with, really, because I've, I've always kind of really appreciated House of Cards more on the human level. So I've always, I've always liked their kind of like their depiction of the human condition and how the Underwoods have this thirst for power, as opposed to kind of the, the political narrative, I guess. Um, and I, I won't really go into it much further than that because I don't want to ruin it for either of you. But I, I think it's it's an interesting point in case, uh, like case in point, I should say, even um, for Spurs in that you know a lot of people are they're, they're really really desperate for Spurs to suddenly overnight like not be shit but to like be this side that never loses. And this was typified by us. You know, we lost at Old Trafford, and like for fuck's sake, you know, all right, we've won there two two years on the trot, but for pretty much the majority of my lifetime, we've gone to Old Trafford and we've lost, you know, that's, that's nothing new. Um, and it, it really just got me thinking like, you know, what, what, what do you really want from your team? You know, do you, do you want a side that does win every, it's like, would you want, would you actually want Spurs really to be like Bayern Munich, for example, would you really want to follow a team that like, that winning is just par for the course. That there's there's no kind of excitement there at all. That there's 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 no there's no build up to it. There's no like I think part of the fun of like being a Spurs fan. Like last season, don't get me wrong, was abject. It was horrible. It was horrible following Spurs when we were completely rudderless and it looked like we had no direction or anything like that at all. But you know, like the season we're having this year and like kind of seasons we had under like Yol, for example, in the past when. It looked like we were getting there, like we were, we were pushing, we were knocking on the door of the top four. That almost feels to me like it's a bit more fun than even like that little purple patch we had under Redknapp when we were a pretty decent side and we would go into a lot of games expecting to win. And when, even when we did win, it didn't really feel like it was an achievement. It felt like 
a formality. It felt like something we should do. And I don't know, I'd just be interested to know what, what you guys were thinking because, the, like I say, I mean, I've kind of taken it quite far away from the initial point. Not not like me to do that at all. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, like I say, a lot of people with house cards, they have said that, like, him getting there was a lot more fun than him actually being there. So do you... Do you do you feel that it might be like that for Spurs at all? That like if if we suddenly did, you know, two years down the line win the league and then won the league again, would you kind of almost kind of hope for us not to win it again? I don't know. It's it's an awkward it's an awkward place to be in. Oh, I think it probably is. So I think if you look at other clubs, if you look at um, if you look at the atmosphere at somewhere like Stamford Bridge, then I mean I know, I know it's easy to knock Chelsea, but you, you kind of you look at how much enjoyment they seem to have from, you know, grinding out, you know, formality wins every week. And it just seems so. There's no momentum. It's just about. Um, it, it's just about solidifying a, a position at the top of a tree. And so, I, you know, I, I agree. I think the journey is always a little bit more enjoyable than the, um, the than, than the destination because it's that momentum. It's the it's the feeling that something something's building and and that's what we had on the red map it was definitely like that on the yol for a while um i mean that, that one of the that that season the the, the the um upton park lasagna season the end of that season was one of my happiest memories in a way because although you know obviously i know how it ended it was such fun because we were sort of on the verge of something which it seemed unachievable for a really long time and it was just um i think i almost enjoyed parts of that season more than um more than the um the, the Red Nap 2009, 2010, in a way. Um, and I'd never want to be one of those fans who, who goes to games without that element of doubt over whether you're going to win. I think, and I think that's what's happened at, um, at Chelsea. And it w- was like that a little bit at Manchester City for a while and definitely at Man United for you know, the, the better part of the 1990s. Um, so, yeah, I'd always rather be a kind of underneath team and you know, struggling to get somewhere improbable. I think that's much more enjoyable as a fan. It, it probably sounds a bit farty and stuff, but it, it to me, it like it it defines the club I love. Like I've I've I, I yeah I love Spurs for for what they are, and it's it's almost like you know I. It, it's like loving a person, though. Well, it's, precisely, it's like you, you know, you, you love them for their flaws as much as their you know their good points, and and you tolerate the things about them which aren't perfect, and and I think that's kind of that is Tottenham, and, and that's maybe okay. Maybe we've convinced ourselves of this over the years, but I think that, that that's a genuine, that's, that's a really fair point. That you know, it's you know, the imperfections are what makes something or someone lovable. Couple of things on this discussion. Um, yeah, here we go. <laughs> Frank Underwood, a bit of an anti-hero. Um, I, wow. I wouldn't equate him with Tottenham, given that you know he kills people and dogs on his way to uh, power and Tottenham. Don't know, Daniel Levy's a bit Frank Underwood, though, isn't he? You know, archway, yeah, I don't think look at archway, you know. We didn't kill anyone, although the Daniel Levy pictured in his Molotov cocktail in the middle of the night may have had something to <laughs> yeah. do with it. Um, and that's a joke, if any lawyers are listening. Um, uh, although it probably did happen. And we know his propensity for leather gloves. But, um, Sorry, mate, don't worry, none of our mums are of the uh, legal profession, at least mine's not. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, Chasing success is, is always more fun. The thing that I'd equate it to is um, in the other sport I I support in, in rugby league, the club I, I support in that has been amazingly successful over the past decade. Um, they actually call it the, the golden generation at Leeds where we've won six championships. And 
the first championship in 2004 is the one where I hold the fondest memories of. It's the one where, where me and my dad went to Old Trafford to watch that game. I remember being so excited and, and so happy when they won it because previous to that, Leeds were always the, the, the nearly men. They were very much like Tottenham where they would try and fail and they'd occasionally be a good cup side and win the odd challenge cup and things and they'd always fail and it was very much like that the, the, the past few seasons for Leeds where they I think we played in about five or six challenge cup finals in a row and lost every single one of them before we actually managed to win one this year so having that period of success where my team has won everything in the past decade the first one and that chasing of it and that, that the the feeling that you had that first season where everything started to click into place and we and it actually felt like something might happen and something was a bit special there was the one that I look back on most fondly. I mean, they've done some fantastic things since. Don't get me wrong, but I think it, that that first one is always the one where you'll you'll always mm. feel the happiest about it. And I think it'll be the same for Spurs. I mean, I wouldn't ever want us to go through. I mean. Perhaps 10 years is probably the maximum that I'd ever want my club to... I know it sounds a bit... I, I, I take 10 years of success, but you know you know what I'm saying. I mean, <laughs> I, I wouldn't want us to have that Fergie-type nearly 30 years' worth of sustained, sustained success because you, you, you're not really going to bounce back from that. But, uh, you know, 10 years of... We've pretty much had that at Tottenham, really, compared to what we had for the the first 10-ish years of the Premier League, compared to what we've had in the second decade. It has been a relative period of, of, of success, this, this Champions League run and the, the class of player that we've had and even have to this day. The club is still growing. So, it's you know, we, we're, we're hardly hard done by. It's, it's always going to be a chase for us. And um, I'll always enjoy that more than, than perhaps being a fan of, of a Manchester United or a... Or definitely a City or a Chelsea, where we've we've spoken previously about the manner of success that they have and the fact that it's it's not really success at all if you if you've got anything about you really. I think people forget that. I think people forget that we we do have a pretty good place within the hierarchy. I mean, you know, just like if ever you get down about like a three in Old Trafford, just think about it. What it was like in the nineties at times. I mean, as a, that 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 was just kind of. That was that, that was misery. That was you know, a reason to complain. I mean, not not now. At least there's kind of you know the, the thing you need as a as a fan is is, is hope and um, you know and some sense of aspiration. And we always have that now to different degrees, and that's that's a great thing. Come on, you Spurs! Exactly. So we can say. Um, I think that's uh, pretty much killed it for one week, lads. Don't you? Anything anything further to add? Anyone? No. Have you seen the picture of Colonel Gaddafi? I tweeted you. I did. Well, I'm it made it me laugh in the middle of Seb talking about. Um, actually, one thing quickly: uh, House of Cards. I really enjoyed it, though. I really like this series. Um, so ignore the naysayers. I think it's brilliant, and Kevin Spacey's fucking fantastic. In it. I'll probably finish tonight watching it. Um, but I find when you've watched a lot of it, like I get this sudden urge that I have to stop myself where I'm having like normal interactions, where I want to have like a piece to camera halfway through, where I get to like yeah. see what I'm thinking. I despise children. You yeah, know, all that kind not of... in that voice, but like you know, turn and go like this. <laughs> this woman in Costa has completely fucked up my mocker. You realize what, what what hasn't happened? You know, the first ever before I was on Rule the Roost, the first Rule the Roost I listened to. Um, was was the Bane episode where Jack got locked into doing the Bane voice for about 20 minutes. <laughs> just, just couldn't stop. <laughs> do, do you not remember that one? 
that would be very painful for you. <laughs> there we go. Uh, there we go. There we go. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of my one of my one of my finer uh, attributes. That so. I've actually endorsed you on LinkedIn. Funny for your voice, man. Skill, yeah. I have you. Endorsed yeah. me on LinkedIn for funny voices. Yeah, for being. <laughs> I'd actually quite like to get into voice. And if anyone listening does have any kind of... I was joking about that, but anything, you're not. No, I may, I'd be well up for it. I think earning money to do silly voices would be quite good fun. Um, Raj could definitely narrate like a, a gritty northern drama. Like some, some, something, you know, I don't know what, but something set in a kind of... A northern town. Emmerdale. So it's, it's I know, he, he'll hate guys. it as well, but I can also see him narrating, like, Vice documentaries, because Vice like to... They always like to choose, like, non-standard English-speaking kind of narrators, aside from when they get, like... Um, what's his name? Clive Martin on there to do his kind of pieces to camera, but... Um, I'm fairly sure I speak standard English. So, I speak standard English, don't I? It's not like I come in with too many colloquialisms or anything, is there? Oh no no, it's an accent. All oh, right, it's, it's just oh, it's, right. yeah no no no. It's, um, you don't speak a different version of the language. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because like that's what it's like. Standard English is you know the Queen's English. Isn't Received it? Like, pronunciation. What like what the BBC do? Um, well, what they used to do, they don't anymore. What they used to do? Yeah. yeah. The first Northerner that was actually on the BBC was uh, due to the war because. Um, it was a harder accent for the Nazis to replicate because part of their propaganda plan, and this is my GCSE history coming through, and A-level history, is uh, the, um, the, the reason that BBC um, news people on, on radio and television say their name rather than just being the voice of the BBC as they were previously in a sort of 1984 fashion is because um, they wanted the a level of familiarity with the British public during the war so that they could say their name and where they were reporting from and, and who they were so that the Nazis couldn't copy it because then there was apparently a Nazi propaganda plan that they were going to hijack the airwaves and put on an effect in RP accent and, uh, and like, give false news to the British people. Um, so to, to make it harder for them, they gave people... They obviously made people say their own names and then they allowed people with regional accents to go on because it would be harder for the uh, the Nazi propaganda machine to replicate a northern accent or something like that. Is that right? Yeah, that's... Uh, as far as I'm aware, as far as, far as uh, what... My favourite teacher um, at high school was my history teacher. That's why I remember this so much. Um, Mr Mason is a, a fantastic teacher. Um, but, yeah, um, that's as far as I'm aware, that was why. And Horsford actually has a... Our little village in Leeds has a, has a World War little museum in it that we used to go to as well. Um, so it's something that I learnt a lot about during my school life. Being an industrial wartime... Area. It is the the north where we built all the planes and armory and everything. Um, there's that. There's. Have you ever heard that story as well of how the the north and the and our factories um, avoided being bombed? No. Especially in the moors. The um, we should probably stop recording when I'm having this conversation. But the um, they used to put uh, false grass on top of the factories, so it used to be just like massive iron corrugated iron sort of massive Anderson shelter type things, like essentially aircraft hangars that they'd uh, repurposed to make factories inside of. And um, because obviously the, the Nazis would be flying over top, what they did was they built like um, fake grass and they put that on top of the the factories, and then they put 
plastic farmyard animals on top of it, so like cows and things. So if you were flying, you were, if you were flying over the top of it, you wouldn't be able to, obviously with depth perception and things like that, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between what was ground and what was not. So they um, they managed to fold them in that manner. So they, the Nazis would have their coordinates of where they were supposed to bomb. They'd fly over and they'd go, there's fuck all here, it's just ground. And then they'd uh, they managed to get away with it scot-free. And there's there's little things like that, like pre-technology things um, that they did during the war and things like that, that you sort of go, that is absolutely genius. That is really, really smart. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That was another stunning um, episode of Rule the Roost podcast, I'm sure you'll all agree. And if you do want to listen to any previous episodes of Rule the Roost podcast, you can do so, Sue. Do so on iTunes. Yeah, Sue. If Sue is listening, Sue fucking loves this show and she'll be able to listen back. There you go. <laughs> there you go, Sue. Um, but you can do so on iTunes or on SpursStatman.com where you'll also find loads of Spurs articles and stuff. If you want to submit any as well, please get in touch with Mr. Steve Jennings. It's at SteveGen993. At SteveGen93. Um, follow him. He's a very nice bloke. It's a good follow. Um and yeah send him some articles so on and so forth you can also send them to Raj but he'll probably be a bit mean to you so don't send them to Raj um, he won't be mean really he's lovely really when he wants to be um, yeah I think that's about it really uh, aside for oh yeah follow us as well at RTR SSM also the boss man JP at Spurs Statman and come on you Spurs let's Kick Nigel Pearson in the head. <laughs> Savage him like we're wolves. <laughs> Fuck knows what I'm going on about now. The, wh- the whiskey's kicked in. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> Good night! <laughs>it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.